Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. All right, Genesis chapter 40, if you're there, say I'm there. 14 people are there. Lord, help the rest. Genesis 40. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to throw it up on the screen for you. Genesis chapter 40. This is, by the way, right after uh, he passed the purity test. So we know that Potiphar's wife tries to grab a hold of him. He releases his, his coat. She, she accuses him of rape. Her husband gets home. She says, this Hebrew tried to attack me. So what we're going to pick up is right when he gets thrown into prison. Let's begin reading this in chapter 40, verse 1. It came to pass after these things that the butler and the baker, the who? Of the king of Egypt, they actually offended the Lord, the king of Egypt. So Pharaoh was angry with these two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker. So he put them in custody of the captain of the guard in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard was in charge of Joseph with them, and he served them, and he served them. Someone say, serve them. Very important, Joseph was serving these people. So they were in custody a while. We don't know if it's months, weeks, or years. But then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were in the prison with him, confined with Joseph, had a dream. Someone say, dream. We know that Joseph had a dream. Now he's hanging out with some other people that had a dream. Both of them had their own dream one night, the same night. Each man's dream had its own interpretation. Verse 6, Joseph came to them in the morning and looked at them and said, Hey, guys, why are you? He saw that they were sad. He said, why are you sad? So he asked, he asked uh, Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of the Lord's house saying, Hey, guys, why do you look so sad today? And they said to him, we both had a dream, but we have no interpretation of the dream. So Joseph responded and says, does not interpretations belong to God? Tell me, please, the dream that you had. And I'll give you a little spoiler alert. The next few verses, he interprets both dreams. And he basically says, to one of you in three days, you're going to be reinstated. To the other one of you in three days, you're going to be hung and your head's going to be off your body. And in verse 21 and 22, it says exactly what Joseph forecasted is what happened. Someone say dreams. I want to talk to you about prospering out of seasons of life that are prisons. Can I pray this morning? Is that all right? God, I just want to say thank you for week number nine of Ocean's Church. I can remember when Chloe was nine weeks old. She was tiny, dinky, and really cute. She couldn't hold her head up yet. She was really, really just tiny and small, fit in my hand. But God, I just thank you that even when she was little, she had the attributes of what she looks like today. And I believe that even though we're small still by the standard of where we're going, I think that we have the attributes of where we're going. We're a faith-filled church. We're a Bible-believing church. We're a loud church. And so I pray today that you'd be with us, that you bless this service we have together today. Help all of our friends that are putting out fires in the north. And I just pray we'd have an awesome week. In Jesus' name, if someone believes it, say amen. Have you ever believed a lie? Who's ever believed a lie before? I remember growing up, I was, I was told that healthy breakfast was cornflakes. If you were raised in the 80s, 70s, 90s, we didn't know about carbohydrates. We, we didn't know about, you know, excess of sugars and fats and trans fats and processed foods. We didn't have Netflix with all of its knowledgeable documentaries. 
I remember growing up, I thought if I was, an or- if I was gonna be a healthy human being, I have to eat cornflakes with bananas and fruit. Maybe a little bit of, a little honey on the top. And I just, I remember thinking growing up, like, why in the world am I not getting in shape? Rashad and I always laugh because we went through a season before everyone knew about carbs. We're like, man, I look at pictures of me when I was like junior high and high school, and I would eat loaves of bread. We would go to Great Harvest Bread. Who's been to Great Harvest Bread? Three of you. God bless you. It's this awesome bakery, and they make, like, loaves of bread. Rochelle said she would go at her lunch break and just get a whole loaf of bread and just butter, honey. She's like, it was the greatest lunch every day. And she's like, why are my jeans tight? Had no idea that there's certain foods that aren't good for you to put into your body. I don't know if you've ever been to Disney World. It is a magical place. It's one of the few places on earth that you can eat salads Walk 15 miles and still gain weight. It's magical, man. I don't know. I don't know who you are, but I just, I've been there before. I've been in a situation I'm like I'm doing, I feel like I'm doing the right things, but my jeans are still tight. I don't want to wash my pants. Hello, who's been there? <laughs> it's like, man, I'm getting, okay, do I, do I wash these jeans or just buy a new pair? Because <laughs> if I dry them, they're not going back in my body. <clears throat> I'm at a point in my life now, I'm 34. I look like I'm 33. I'm 34. And um, I'm at a point in my life that I'll do whatever it takes to have a perfect body, except eat less and exercise. Can I get an amen? My favorite machine at the gym is the vending machine. Come on. Can I get a witness? And um, I don't know. I just, I, 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 I've been just I'm thinking about, man, how I believed a lie growing up that I thought that if I eat a certain food that I'd get a certain outcome. And I realized, you know, science would prove that a lot of the foods we endorsed in the 80s and the 90s were disowning now. We're saying that's the way you get cancer. That's the way you die. And it's just wild that technology continues to prove these different, you know, facts and, 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 you know, proofs and evidence. And it's just wild to me. All these years I grew up thinking, man, if I did this, I'll get that. And I find that many people are frustrated with it pertains to their faith and with God because they thought if I do this, I'll get I think there's a lot of disillusioned people, even in Orange County, because we're like, well, I went to church. I even tied for a little bit. I prayed every once in a while. I did this, but I still got that. And I can't, I can't honestly, looking back, I've been serving God full time for uh, the last 16 years. And I look at the life of Joseph and I go, man, it says that Joseph went to a pit. He went to slavery. He went to a prison. But every time Uh, the author has the audacity to say, but the Lord was with him. It's like, well, are you sure he's with him? Because he's in a pit. He's in prison. Are you sure? I thought God doesn't hang out in prison. But it's amazing to me that it says every time the Lord was with Joseph, the Lord was with Joseph, and he, and he kept on rising to the challenge of the circumstances that he found himself in. Some people say, what was Joseph's gift? His gift was leadership. Everywhere they put Joseph, he rose because he was a good steward of whatever place God put him in. And it's crazy that even in the prison, he began to prosper. 
It says that the, 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 his boss gave everything under his care to Joseph, and he finds himself in this prison. But this is what I want to point out, is he said no to sleeping with another man's wife when no one else could have found out about it. And he actually went as, he went as bold to say, I'm not going to sleep with you because it's not just evil in the sight of you or me or your husband, it's evil in the sight of God. So Joseph breaks out that he's doing the right thing, not just to be morally sound, he's doing the right thing to honor God. And you would think that God would be like, all right, I appreciate that, young man. I'm going to promote you a little faster. But what happens? He does the right thing. No, I'm not going to sleep. No, I'm not going to sin against God. And he still gets thrown in prison. Well, it's just a temporary setback. It was a setback for his comeback. We preach this stuff. Yeah, like I would agree if it was a week. If he was hanging out for like three nights, like, all right, I'll just leave, I'll keep my clothes on. Give him a toothbrush, you know, to set back for a comeback. But it says he spent years. And he wasn't in any prison. He was in the king's prison. He was in a prison where all of the king's servants, all of the politicians, anyone that he got mad at, he just got thrown into this dungeon. And he spends years in this dungeon, and he finds himself in a dungeon, in a prison, with a butler and with a baker. So he does the right thing, but he ends up in the wrong place. Prisons are all throughout the Bible. Prisons always have a lot of significance. Isaiah 42 says that prisons are symbolic of bondage. Prisons are symbolic of isolation, loneliness, uh, uh, being, um, being unnoticed. Uh, lonely places. Prisons are all throughout the Bible. It says that, that good things happen in prisons, though, throughout the Bible. It said that Samson's hair grew back in prison. It says that Peter uh, actually encountered an angel because the church was praying for him when he was in prison. It goes on to say that Paul and Silas write one of the greatest worship songs of all time when they were in prison. Earth shook. Everyone's chains got let go of. John the Baptist spent some time in prison. We go down the roster of prison after prison after prison. Paul wrote some of the greatest literature on the earth while sitting in a jail cell. God has historically always used seasons of confinement to use things for his purpose. And I believe some of you are like, I'm in a lonely place, an isolated place. I feel like I'm in a bondage situation. And I got news for you that not only can God get you out of that predicament, but God can prosper you while you're still in it. While you're still in it. I look at scripture and I see person after person getting out of these prisons. And I just keep on thinking, it's crazy. It's okay. So Joseph here is now in a prison. He's in there for several years. And I noticed that he does three things that I believe accelerate the prison season. He does three things that accelerate his stay in prison. The first thing he did is the Bible says that the, the captain of the prison, he actually entrusted the butler and the baker to Joseph's care. I actually, the first thing that we have to do if we want to get out of the lonely, isolated place of bondage is we have to make it a priority to serve other people. It's one message you don't hear in society. They say, if you're in trouble, invest money on yourself. Seek out ways of, go, go, to, go to the spa for you, have your day, have it your way. Come on, eat fresh, whatever. We keep on throwing all these idioms at ourselves that, you know, if I'm in a bad place, I have to help myself. But I love what, what Joseph does is he goes, look, I'm in a bad place. 
I'm in the wrong place for doing the right things, and I could have a pity party. But instead of feeling sorry for myself, I'm going to do a good job serving the people that are entrusted to me. So instead of complaining about the economy, I'm going to be a good boss to my employees. Instead of being bitter because my wife left me, I'm going to love the kids that we still do have. Are you following me? I think it's important that we can't let a, a prison season of our life discourage us from serving the world around us. So that's the first thing it is. I'm going to serve people. I'm not going to be selfish. I'm going to serve. I'm not going to be selfish. I'm going to serve. Because our human proclivity, when we go into a confined season of life, is we get selfish. I'm not going to go, I'm not going to socialize. I'm not going to go to church. I'm not going to go to small group. I'm not going to hang out with Christians. I'm not going to read my, I'm going to stay home. I'm going to turn on Netflix and I'm going to go to sleep after I watch one or two more seasons. And we get selfish instead of being serving. It's amazing that even clinical psychiatrists, some of the best in the world that aren't Christian, by the way, they say the number one solution to depression when you feel depressed is to leave where you are and find someone else to help. This is what they say is one of the greatest solutions to depression. When you're depressed, leave where you are and go find somebody to help. And as you help them, God begins to help not only does he serve others, not, this is number two thing that he does, is he actually is aware of the sadness around him. It says he woke up one morning and he saw the two guys that he was serving and he noticed that they were sad. I'm sure he probably thought to himself, if anyone's got an excuse to be a little mopey, a little emo, I'm justified in my, my frustrations I've been in a pit. My brothers betrayed me. I did everything right for Potiphar, that general, that military leader, and his wife did this to me, and I'm in prison. If anyone had a right to have a pity party, it was Joseph. But notice that when he should have been sad, he was aware of the sadness of others. I think many people miss out on getting out of the bondage they're in because the only people they're worried about is the sadness of themselves. I'm sad. I'm lonely. I'm, me, me, mine, I, I. Are you following me? This is the language of the Western world. And God teaches us through this life of Joseph thousands of years ago that one of the fastest ways out of prison, out of bondage, is by serving others and saying, why are other people around me sad? Why are you upset? Why are you wounded? Why are you so angry at Christians? Why do you really hate the church? Why do you always make fun of God when I'm at work? Why, why, do you, why do you hate this politician? So why do you do this? Why are you ranting on this? I actually believe if we'll take the time to notice why are you really sad? We're picking shallow fruit, short fruit, fruit that we can reach when God, there's a deep root of sadness in many people. And I'll believe this, I believe this to be true. The number one cause of sadness and depression is the same cause as thousands of years ago in Genesis chapter 40 is that you might have a dream, but you don't know what it means. I have, a dr I have this dream. Is it a dream or is it a fantasy? Is it from God or is this from me? 
And I believe many people are like, look, I'm, 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 I'm nice, I'm social, I'm business-minded, I'm good with numbers, I'm good with people, but I don't know exactly what God's dream is for my life. I actually believe one of the most frustrating places to be in life is to actually have the, the, the attributes of your dream, but not have the dream itself. To have the keys to the car of your destiny, but not know how to drive it. It is a frustrating thing. Can you imagine someone gives you a Learjet and you're like, thank you, but I don't know how to use it. I've never flown before. And these butler and this baker go, look, we have dreams. We're sad because we know that this is from God, but we don't know how to connect with God. And I believe that this is why we moved to Orange County to start a new church. Because there's many people in Orange County that are gifted, talented, I would even dare say successful. But they, they have dreams, but they don't know that God is the author of the dreams. And when you spend dreams on yourself, you always end up bankrupt. You always end up depressed, discouraged. Because God's dreams were never intended to be spent on you. So he serves the butler, serves the baker, and he says, why are you sad? And the third thing he does is he helps them answer answer their dreams. Number three, you know how you get out of prison? You know how you start reaching your dreams? It's when you're humble enough to help someone else's dreams come to pass. You know what many people do is they say, well, when God gives me my dream, that's when I'm gonna do my dream. Usually, you'll, there's always people around you that have a dream before you have yours. And oftentimes, you won't fulfill your dream until you're faithful with helping someone else's come to pass. I spent 16 years serving some of the greatest pastors on the earth in Boise, Idaho. Ken and Connie Wilde had a dream. They started the National Prayer Center in Washington, D.C. They built a church with, with 30 people, turned into a church of thousands in Boise, Idaho. And I, I actually oversaw the youth ministry, the young adult ministry. And listen to me, I didn't have a vision for the youth. I had his vision for our city, and I interpreted it to young people. I was faithful with Ken and Connie Wilde's dream for 16 years, and as I helped bring their dream to pass, when I became a Christian, he told me this, because they moved to Boise because they said, uh, my, my mother-in-law was a cheerleader at Boise State, and they'd always tell these stories at staff prayer, that they had a vision of young people, hundreds and thousands of young people that were lined up outside the buildings. And their faces were pressing on the glass, and they were trying to get into the house of God to encounter the reality of Jesus. And they had this dream of impacting the masses, but they just didn't, we, we were the youth pastors that served the vision that was in their heart, and we, God chose us to bring about the dream that was in them. You following me? And many times we go, well, God, when you fulfill my vision, then I'll do my vision. And God says, no, help someone else's dream come true. How can you get behind someone else's dream? Because oftentimes it's in serving theirs that you get yours. Amen. I'll, I'll say amen, preach. That's good preaching. I, come on, if you're going to clap for Jesus, give God a good hand clap this morning. Almost finished. Is he gets out, he expedites the prison sentence because he serves others. He's aware of what makes other people around him sad. And he helped other people's dreams begin to materialize. It's funny because the two greatest attacks when you're in a prison season of your life, the two greatest enemies of these bondage, isolated, lonely seasons, two greatest things you're going to hear in your head is, number one, God must not be good. 
God not, and I'll even be as bold to say it this way. God must not be real because of how bad this is. God can't be real, Mark, because my life is too bad. There's too much evil. There's too much suffering. Who's ever said there's evil in the world? Three of you, okay. Who would say there's some bad things that happen in the world? What I want to do is I just want to prove to you really quick that God is real. Because by acknowledging that there's bad, you're acknowledging that there's good. If we were just a cosmic accident, we would not have any morality. You study human history in any civilization, killing people and murder was always bad. Courage and honor were always good. If we are a cosmic accident, why do we value evil as opposed to good? God hardwired us with these, these, these feelings and these emotions because God knew that the only way this thing's going to make sense is if you acknowledge the fact that he's given you and I the choice. We can do good and we can do evil. And here we find Joseph. He's like, all right, I'm, I'm, in, a, I'm in a bad place. And Joseph could have easily said, God isn't real because my life is so bad. Can you imagine how convincing his testimony would have been? Well, I grew up in church. I was in the youth ministry. I actually served. I was an usher. I worked in the parking lot. I'm annoying myself with my lips right now. I, uh, I read my Bible cover to cover. I actually served God for so long, I got thrown into a pit by my family. After I got thrown into a pit, I served Paul. I was a slave. I did the right things. I became a slave. And after I was a slave... My boss's wife tried to, tried to cast longing eyes on me, and I said, I can't do this because God. Can you imagine that he's telling the world, I did all the right things, and I did it in God's name, and I'm still in prison. He'd have a really, really powerful reason why you shouldn't believe in God, because if God's good, why is my life bad? If you're in that situation right now, and I feel like there's some people in here that are, you're saying to yourself, if God was real, I wouldn't have this ailment. I wouldn't have this sickness. I wouldn't have gone through this tragedy or this trial. I just want to, again, I'm not trying to solve all of life's problems, but I will say this to you, that Joseph just had to live a little bit longer. Do you know how Joseph saw resolution in the goodness of God? He just had to live a little bit longer. Do you know how Job finally got to a point in his life after he lost everything? He lost his wife, or his, well, he didn't lose his wife. That's probably the one thing he probably would have helped him out a little bit in that scenario. He lost his kids, his money. He lost everything, right? And he just had to keep on living to the point that he actually said, I've heard about you with my ears, but I've lived long enough now to see the full story unfold that I've seen you with my eyes. Some of you have heard about the goodness of God, but you haven't seen it yet. And my, 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 my contention is you haven't lived long enough yet. And I'll actually be bold to say this. Even if you don't see the full resolution of what you want to see on this life, in this space, we don't judge God based upon temporary 60, 70, 80 year increments. We judge God against the canvas of eternity. It's unfair and it's unjust to judge God who's eternal on a temporary life. Are you following me right now? So you, you say this way, you can't judge the movie of your life until the movie is completely over. And the credits don't roll until you die. Are you following me? Well, that's encouraging. It is encouraging. Because God gets the final word in. God's word is what is, finishes out the close of your life of my life, if you're going to clap, give him a good hand clap this morning. 
So you hear two lies, you hear as the band comes up, you hear lie number one, if God was good, why is this bad? And I would just suggest, suggest to you, Galatians 6, 9 says, do not grow weary in doing the right things. Because in due time, you will reap if you don't lose heart. You know why we lose heart? Because it's not happening in our timetable. But I got news for you that your due date is not God's expectant time. God has a, a set time, and it's different sometimes than our due date. You ever had a doctor say that you're going to deliver this baby November 10th? And it shows, yeah, thanks, Benny. And the baby doesn't come November 10th, it comes in September? Have you ever noticed that babies don't care about the doctor's due date? They're on their lifetime table, not the doctor's. And I want you to know that oftentimes we go, Mark, God told me that I'm going to be doing this by age 31. And I'll be doing that by age 42. And I'm going to have a paid off this at 40, 45. And I'm going to be retired at, you know, 16. Whatever. We throw all these dates at God. And I can just imagine God going, that's funny. I'll come when I'm ready to come. You know what happens to our humanity is we start arguing with God. We're like, well, God, well, that's not logic. That's not fair. I want you to know that's what makes God, God. He has, we, we, you ever seen a little girl play with dolls? She has full control. My little Chloe will play with them like, okay, sit down. You got to eat tea. Drink your tea. Oh, you're being bad. Okay, you're getting spankies. My three-year-old has full control over her dolls. You know why? Because she owns them. She owns them. And we don't like this. Atheist we doesn't like this idea. But part of what makes God who he is is that he can do whatever he wants. We point fingers at God. C.S. Lewis said that you can no longer, you can no more diminish the glory of God by chiseling darkness in your cell while looking at the sun. You can't diminish the sun's light by writing darkness on your cell. God's going to shine no matter what. And whether you or I want to acknowledge him shining, that's up to you. But I want you to know that what makes God God is that he does what's right in his eyes. I'm in prison for doing the right things. But I'm going to serve others. I'm going to be aware of their sadness. I'm going to help their dreams come true. And as I do that, you know what's going to happen is I'm going to overcome the temptation to think because life's bad, God's bad. That's not true. That's a lie. I just haven't lived long enough yet. Second thing that you're going to, the devil's going to throw at you is God's not good. And I want you to know that this is one thing we have to settle here today in this place. Fires, tragedy, all the things that are going on in the world today, we have to come to a resolution in this place that regardless of what life throws us, God's still good. We have to. It's a premeditated decision. You have to make up your mind before you're in a storm that God's good. You can't wait until you get a diagnosis and go, okay, I think, okay, I think maybe he is or maybe he's not good. My mind is made up. I think many people, they, they judge the goodness of God by the goodness of their life. And that's deceiving because life has ups and downs. We live in a fallen world. And if your life, your theology is like your life, you're going to have really bipolar theology. God's good one day. I won the lottery. Okay, I spend it all. God's bad. I want you to know that God is profoundly, profusely good. Why is that important, Mark? Because how you see God is how you talk to him. 
And if you don't see him as a good God, you're not going to talk to him about good things. And how you see him is how you pray. And how you pray determines your reality. What you believe God for is directly connected to how you view God being. You're never going to ask God to help you in your marriage if you don't think he cares about your marriage. You're never going to ask God, hey, God, would you give me a better job? I, I really just can't stand this job. If you don't think that God cares enough about you to give you a job that you like, well, he just, he just wants me to suffer. No, suffering will find us. We don't have to look for that. Are you following me? I'm the sufferer for God. You don't, suffering does not make you more spiritual. Bad theology. God knows what he's doing. Can you write this down? God knows what he's doing. I think the greatest thing that you can tell yourself if you're in a lonely, isolated, bondage situation is that God knows what he's doing. I'll prove it to you. He's 17. You know what he could have done at 17? He could have went, he had a dream of being a ruler, right? He could have went to, uh, let's just say, I'm going to oversee the military one day. Let's go to West Point. I'm going to get straight A's. I'm going to go to West Point or the Naval Academy so I can get a degree in some sort of strategy so I can go into leadership in the government and become maybe a great general one day in Egypt. So let's, go, let's get good grades. Let's go to, let's go to the best college, best, best university, best military base, and let's get trained on how to be a great general. But that, was his, that would have been man's idea. God goes, I'm going to do that for you, Joseph, but I'm going to give you a better experience. I'm not going to put you at West Point. I'm going to put you in the general of Egypt. His name is Potiphar. And you're going to serve this guy, and you're going to hear about the conversation he has with world leaders. And you're going to be in his study when he's meeting with high-ranking officials. And you're going to hear his tactics, his strategies, his mindsets. And you're going to see how Potiphar makes decisions predicated upon ruling the military well. And I'm going to give you a first-hand degree from actually not studying theories, but actually sitting in a house that they're, they're implying, implementing these theories. God could have sent him to West Point, but instead he sent him to Pharaoh's, uh, Potiphar's household. And guess what? When he gets accused of rape, he doesn't go to regular prison. He goes to the king's prison. And I don't know about you, but what better place to get a political science degree than going to a prison that's reserved for political people. I could have went to Harvard, Yale, Oxford, and majored in political science, Joseph. But how about instead, God's plan was, he'll put me in a prison with the greatest politicians in the world. And as I'm serving all of these political world leaders, I'll actually be able to acquire wisdom that I would never learn from a professor that's never lived it. I want you to know that God knows what he's doing. And everything in your life is intentional. Everything. He uses all of it. God wastes no experience. He wastes no pain. He doesn't waste tragedy and trials. God will collect every broken piece of your life and he'll build something out of it that you could have never built with no brokenness. You want to be a ruler in, in, in Egypt? I'll give you the greatest education you could ever get. And the entire time you could have denied my existence. But you didn't. Because you knew that I knew what I was doing. I don't know who you are today. I don't know where you're from. But I got news for you that God knows what he's doing. Would you stand your feet? Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.